turn your Bible to the last book in the Old Testament. Book of Malachi. Right before the book of Mal- Matthew. <clears throat> I'd like you to open it to, if you have a Bible there, just open it to Malachi, the fourth chapter. If you're on that page, I want you to take that page and I want you to turn it over. And what's on the page? Nothing. Nothing's on my page either. You have just... Now turn it one more page. And uh, at least for most Bibles, you will see the book of Matthew. When you just turn that page, you just turned 400 years. 400 years of silence. And silence is uncomfortable. Isn't that true? As soon as we hear silence, we go, what's, what's going on? What, is something supposed to be happening? Why, why isn't somebody talking? Okay, that, that's what silence does. And in a sense, that was the experience of the Jewish people. Uh, no prophets. No, thus saith the Lord, as much as they despise that at times, they now were in this eerie period of silence. And yet the story continues. Uh, God wasn't on leave, on sabbatical some, to some other solar system. He, uh, he was still at work in the story, even though you don't find those events recorded in your Bible. So what I would like to do this morning is I want to just... I want to bridge the gap, and then we'll, we'll look at some application, but I want, you, I want to just give you an idea here of, of what happened in this 400 years between Malachi and the book of Matthew. One of the best ways that, that I visualize this is, how many of you have ever played King of the Hill? Isn't that a great game? Most people in this room have played. Uh, you know, I've played it in the sand, in the sand sand dunes. I, I played it in the winter. We get this, for those of you who don't know, you get a big hill of sand, snow, whatever, and one guy goes to the top, and the goal of everybody else is to get him off. And it's like an hour of just uh, wrestling and grappling and throwing people down and, and getting all your aggressions out, whatever's, whatever's there, and plotting, you know, three guys get together to take out the guy on top. That's not a bad picture what happens over this 400 years. And so we find that we've been going through the story and we find Assyria was on top of the hill and then Babylon, they got on top of the hill and they weren't up there very long and then Persia got on top of the hill and we get to the end of Matthew or end of Malachi, that's where we are. Persia is king of the hill. They own almost the entire world. And Israel is under their domination. So here's what happens. The king of the hill is about to change through the life of a very young man. When he was 13, his dad uh, hired a tutor. Tutor's name was Aristotle. Ever heard of him? Tutored this young man in Greek culture, and at the age of 20, he embarked. Any, anyone here age 20? Close? Okay, close. <laughs> Kevin, you. 
Pray for that man in the front row there. Um, oh, I can't go there. Okay. So anyway, this guy's 20 years old, and, and he takes on the world. By age 33, he has conquered the entire world. His name was Alexander, and he added a couple words, the Great. Alexander the Great, a, a great military man, a, a great uh, student of Greek uh, philosophy and language and culture and architecture and, and all of that, and he conquered the world in 13 years. And then he died. Uh, fever, high fever, probably malaria, typhoid, something of that sort. But before he had died, he had brought Greek culture, dress, foods, philosophies, uh, the language to all the places that he conquered. In fact, we are told that 40% of this Greek empire under Alexander was Jewish. Almost half of them were Jewish. And it was during this time that 70 scholars were assigned to write the Septuagint, which was the first Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. Well, at age 33, Alexander dies, as I said, after several days of high fever. And right before that, what happens is he assigns the territory to four different governors, four different generals, actually. And Ptolemy and Seleucid are the two, uh, probably the two most important to remember because they were right in the area of Palestine and Jerusalem, kind of right on the border between the territories that were given to those two generals. And, and they went back and forth. Ptolemy was uh, really the, headed up Palestine for almost 150 years. But then towards the end of that, the last 50 years, Seleucid, and the Seleucids had charge of Israel, and there is a man who came out of that, and this was his name, Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest, which gives you a little idea of his temperament. And he hated the Jews. He hated them. And he, he was going to force, he sought to force everything to be Greek. He, he banned the circumcision. He banned many of the Jewish practices. And, and the, the icing on the cake was he came into the Jewish temple, sacrificed a pig in the temple, which was a totally unclean animal. And not only did he sacrifice the pig there, but he took its juice cooked it, took, took its juice, and smeared it on the walls of the temple. And there was a family by the name of Maccabees that hated this man with a passion. And these brothers got together, these Maccabean boys, and they, they started putting together a ragteam uh, army. And they were passionate, and they were determined, and believe it or not, they, they defeated the Greeks and forced, the, forced them out of their territory and, and found a, at least a few years of freedom from the Seleucid rule there. Hanukkah is the, when they celebrated that event, there was, there was enough oil for one day, and the oil burned for eight days. Hanukkah is the celebration of that event. When you hear, you've heard of, how many people heard of Hanukkah? Okay, it's celebrating the Maccabean revolt when they put off the uh, Greeks and restored worship in the temple. 
And they celebrate eight days because, because God miraculously supplied oil through that time. However, now enters Julius Caesar and Pompey. And now we find a new king of the hill is about to emerge. And that new king of the hill is the Roman Empire. Under Pompey, they again conquered the entire world. Governors were assigned to regions around Palestine under the Roman Empire. And you might recognize a couple names. Pontius Pilate and Herod the Great. So that brings us, that kind of brings us through now. You, you get a vision here of what happened during these 400 years from, from Persia to Alexander the Great to uh, Seleucid and, and uh, Ptolemy under him and then the Roman Empire takes over and conquers and sets up a, sets up really a scenario into which we find our study this morning. So why is that important to know? I mean, what, what, what was the experience here of these 400 years? There's probably a lot of different ways we could look at it. This 400 years of pushing and shoving and ego and pride and greed and lust. It's, it's really 400 more years of earthly kings who do not bring about what, what every Jewish person was seeking for, and that was peace and freedom and blessing and prosperity. And the storyline is starting to get old. Because we can go back, and as you read through the Old Testament, it just seems like it's one king after another, and one cycle after another, up and down, up and down, enslaved, free, enslaved, and free, and, and more enslaved than free, it appears, as we walk through the story. However, things are about to change. Significantly. A new character is entering the story. The Jews knew that a, a new character was going to enter the story, and they, they looked forward to that. Every Passover, they put an empty chair there, looking forward to this new character in the story. They, they knew this new character had been prophesied, and they were wondering who the director was going to cast for this role. Would it be the return of an Elijah kind of a guy? Would it, would it be a, a reincarnate Moses or, or Joshua? And so this morning, the new character enters the story and all of heaven gasps. They had to have been in absolute shock. I mean, this is unbelievable. In fact, so much. It is so unbelievable that the characters already in the story don't even understand who's entered the stage. And what has happened is, is that the director of the story has cast himself into the play. Now, not that he's not been involved. And we could go back to who is that fourth man in the furnace? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And, and he has made subtle appearances, but now... For the first time, the director himself takes on a major role alongside the other characters 
in the story, a face-to-face role. God becomes a man. Unbelievable. The king of all kings is now in Jerusalem. And so, listen to the story. This is how the birth of Jesus came. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man that did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from, notice where, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son who is from the Holy Spirit and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not the Romans, not the Greeks, not the Persians. I guess there's a bigger enemy. He will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, give birth to a son. It's all been prophesied. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means exactly what happens. God with us. And when Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. So how does Jerusalem react? Well, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, the time of, here it is, King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. He called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. This is what was written by the prophet. This is in the book of Micah. He quotes, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. The star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And then coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, bowed down and worshipped him, and then opened their treasures and presented gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream... Not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. This is, the words pop into my brain. This is, this is unbelievable. This is uh, incredible. It, it's, it's masterful. It, it's intriguing. Uh, when you think of God, it's extremely humbling. And yet we see for some it's disturbing and unsettling and threatening, this fact of God with us. One more description. We turn to John's 
gospel. He begins with the same three words you'll find in the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And now he tells us that the Word is personal. He, referring to the Word, was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. These flowers, these, these plants, these, these trees, this, this, nothing without Him, this one that we have just read about, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was what we all want, life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He was not the light himself. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was was coming into the world. And listen to this. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Incredible. Incredible. God comes to the world and he made the world and the world does not recognize him. He came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. And then we have this amazing promise. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision nor of a husband's will but born of God. And the word became flesh made his dwelling among us, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The word becomes flesh and and dwells among us here on the earth. And it would be only a handful, it would be only a handful of people who who could even begin even begin to understand that the director of this story had just stepped onto the stage. I mean, they were looking for a king. They've had many kings. They've had scores of kings for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were looking for a king. That's what was prophesied. You know a king? Somebody of means, somebody that has wealth, somebody that has a you know, palace, somebody that has a well-trained army to protect him. Servants that wait on him, concubines to satisfy him. That's, that's what kings did. They knew what a king looked like and, until Jesus comes along. Born in a, in a no-name village to no-name parents with a no-name occupation. So, Jesus, you are king of the Jews. Well, what are your credentials? Let's... Let's take a look here. Let's see. Uh, born in uh, Nazareth. Reputation of Nazareth with nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Uh, illegitimate child. Uh, experience. Carpentry. Campaign funds. Five loaves and two fish. Residence. Uh, homeless. Military census and weapons. Twelve guys with fishing nets. Friends. 
drunkards, uneducated, tax collectors, irreligious types. And the people said, this is not a king. No wonder everyone missed him. No wonder people miss him today. And Jesus tells us why. In that, I think, one of the most insightful conversations that he has, chapter 18 of John, he's visiting with Pilate. Then Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and said, Okay, are you, are you the king of the Jews? That's what these people out here are saying. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And then Jesus says this. My kingdom. You can't be a king without having a kingdom. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. I'd have an army, is what he's saying, to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Well, you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born and came into the world. Jesus is a king. His kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kingdom. It's, it's of a different place. It's, it's a different kind of kingdom. And so he wasn't interested in palaces. He wasn't interested in, in armies here. He wasn't interested in fortunes here and all the prestige that comes with it. You know why? Because he has a greater palace in another kingdom. That's the one he left. Far greater than even Solomon's kingdom. I mean, his armies, the Scriptures tell us that he could command legions of angels. He had armies. They just weren't Roman soldiers or Jewish armies. He, he owns it all. The Bible says he's heir of all things. It's just that his home and his wealth are not vested in a world that's passing away. Does that make sense? I mean, we get so bound up in this world, and Jesus said, you know what? It's all going. It's all passing away. Why don't you invest your life in a different kingdom? But if you do that, your life will take on very different priorities. And so we see here that he's looking for people with eyes to see that to serve this king is to live for a different kingdom with a whole different mindset and set of priorities. Well, let me wrap this up. Let's, let's just take a look here at the upper story. You know, it's so easy to get discouraged in our day. Uh, five, five men have just redefined marriage for 50 states and 320 million Americans. Uh, there, there are new terrorist attacks in Tunisia. Uh, funerals were held this week for Charleston shooting victims. I, I just clicked on this morning... First headline, jihadists kill over 200 civilians, many women and children in Syria. And, and we, we read the headlines and we wring our hands and we say, where is the king? And we hear these words, my kingdom is not of this world. This world is passing away. Trust me. 
follow me. I'm building my kingdom in the middle of this one that is, is, is passing away. And this is such a vital truth to understand and, and to live by. It's such an important piece of the story. You know, the story is not just about our salvation. That's, a, that's where it all starts. But it's also about living out our story here in this world. And so we need to understand the priorities of this king. People say, where is the king? I mean, look at my bank account. Uh, look at my job situation. Look at this foreclosure notice I just got in my house. Look at this diagnosis I just got from the doctor. Well, God will work in those areas, but, but understand that this king came to save souls. Because your most serious problem and my most serious problem is not my bank account or 101 other things that we all get upset about. Jesus said, what is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus came in to what? To save souls, to save the lost, to save people like you and I. And to, to re, renew hearts and, and change destinies. And he will, he's going to continue to use pain and suffering and difficulty and tragedy to accomplish his purposes in the lives of people. And so this morning, after century after century after century of failed king, one after another, the one that they've been waiting for comes and they miss him. They miss him. So what about you today? Have you missed him? Or maybe you haven't missed him, but you're living like he's not here. You're discouraged and anxious and fearful because you see this kingdom around us passing away. Well, our king's kingdom is, is not of this world, and if he's your king, then your kingdom's not of this world as well. In conclusion, let me just give you this practical application. Thursday of this week, a man by the name of Harold Ayler passed away up at the healthcare center. He's a hard-working farmer, grew up on the farm, Loved fresh air, outdoors, hard work. A lot of guys here can understand that. A lot of gals too. Just like, you know, it feels like to be able to get out and do stuff. Ten years ago, I met Harold, and he was having a hard time, probably around that. I don't remember exactly, but he was having a hard time walking. He was stooped over, and Parkinson's uh, had been the diagnosis, part of his story. And then it was a cane, and, and, and then it was the walker, and, and then it was the wheelchair, and, and then it was visits up at the healthcare center to a man who had to have help to get out of bed. And he would lay there day after day after day. And I'm here to tell you, I only know of two things that kept him going. One thing was his family. The second thing that kept him going was the hope that his king had something else in store. That there was more to his story than this. That his story does not end in a bed in the Wausau Healthcare Center. 
And we probably talked about that every time we visited. That he had a king which was not of this world, and in that kingdom there are no walkers and there are no wheelchairs. And so we will get together with the family tomorrow and, uh, and we will celebrate his life. And we will celebrate the king that he knew. And we will celebrate what the king has done in his life even this day. The king is here. We are about to see the manifold wisdom of God in over the next two weeks. The events that are going to transpire, you'd have never guessed it. You'd have never written it. Uh, we'd have never, we would never understand it without the help of the Holy Spirit. But this is just an amazing story. And uh, in some ways, the story is just beginning. Father, we thank you today for uh, the joy that comes to us as we realize that, that you are beyond all of the tragedy and, and all of the heartache and all of the sin and all of the failure that has been a part of humanity since that first decision in the garden to disobey you when sin entered the world. Father, we've been reading about it we experience it in our own lives. And now we see that there is one who has come. A king, finally. The king of all kings. And he is going to do what no other king could do. And he is going to take his people to a place that no other king could take his people. And so we just anticipate this with, with great joy today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.